Lord, thank you for the gift of faith. It is a gift. It's not something that we can produce in ourselves. Rather, it's something that you bring about. And so we pray, as we hear the word and as we reflect on what it means now, we pray you would strengthen our faith and that you would banish all fear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed, our culture is not getting any more friendly to the Christian faith. It takes more and more courage to stick your neck out for Jesus in this present time. Of course, the first thing we think of is evangelism, just taking that initiative to talk with people about Jesus, or even just to ask a question about what their spiritual outlook is. Um, It's hard to do. And it's hard to do in a time where there's so much animosity against the Christian faith. Um, And really, any time you are standing on principle, any time you're doing what's right in the face of what the world thinks you should be doing, um, you need to realize that even if you're not explicitly talking about Jesus, you are identifying with Jesus by standing with, for what he stands for. And when you do that, it takes courage. It's hard. It takes courage to say no to our boss at work when he asks us to do something wrong and to say no. And it's also kind of weird, I was thinking about this, it takes courage to say to those who are under us, whether, um, you know, our children or people we have um, authority over at work or whatever, it takes courage to say no to them, too. Um, What if they think we're too strict? What if they won't like us anymore? Um, Those kinds of things. It takes courage to be different than our peers. It takes courage to speak up and resist evil in the public square um, when we risk being labeled a bigot, right? And of course, it's so much easier, isn't it, just to lay low and just pretend like, ah, I'm not going to make any ripples here. Um, It's so much easier to remain silent, to go along, to get along. But I think we all know that's not an option when going along means we deny our Savior, when going along means we give tacit consent to what is actually untrue. And so if we're going to be faithful as as exiles and strangers in this present time, it's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take a lot of, as this text shows us, faith. Faith is where courage comes from. It's absolutely vital that we have faith if we're going to overcome fear. So if we want to grow in boldness, if we want to not be in bondage to timidity anymore, we need God to grow our faith. And that's what we're going to see as we look at these examples of courageous faith in Hebrews. We're going to look at these examples and see their courage, admire their courage. But then we're going to say, okay, so where did it come from? And we're going to see how faith gave them the courage that they had. And then we're going to take that to our own hearts and ask ourselves, where do we need to be dislodged from our fearfulness and start living for Christ in a new and fresh way with courage? Well, as we were reflecting on the things we just heard, just heard read, um, there's a reason, isn't it, that this passage is called the Hall of Fame of Faith? I mean, these are really courageous saints, and the things that they did here in this passage are really courageous things. And I, I want you to notice that, again, there's a running theme in these that he's collected together uh, for our text today. Um, there's a running theme of faith giving boldness in the face of threats from people. So let's look at these briefly. Moses, when he was born, his parents had faith. What had happened? Pharaoh was saying, 
Every baby boy that's born needs to be put to death. Moses' parents did not obey. They knew that there were stiff consequences. Maybe they would die themselves. And yet they did not obey. Instead, they hid their baby for three months in courage and in defiance of Pharaoh's unlawful command. Moses himself had similar courage, right? Uh, Amazing twist of providence happened where he got saved, rescued by um, Pharaoh's daughter, was raised in Pharaoh's house, um, and is living this life of, you know, luxury and high education and everything like that. And what happens? One day he goes and he sees the affliction of his people, of these Hebrews that are enslaved by Pharaoh's household. And if you remember the story, there's this um, Egyptian taskmaster that's beating this Hebrew slave. And Moses, what did he do? It's a little complicated to understand this, but what he did was not okay. He attacked and killed that Egyptian. He did not have the authority to do that. So the act was not okay, but the impulse, the the sense of needing to defend his people was a good and godly thing, which the author of Hebrews commends. His faith gave him courage. He didn't just say, well, I'll pretend kind of not to notice, turn the other way. Keep, leaving my cozy li- keep leading my cozy life. No, he saw the affliction of this man being beaten, saw that he was in peril, and intervened. And that led to then a life of wandering for 40 years, where he's no longer in Pharaoh's household. In fact, he's a man on the run. It took courage. It took faith for him to say, I need to stand up for what's right. Then there's the faith that took the people needed in order to get through the Red Sea. Imagine you've got Pharaoh's army on your tail, and here's this huge body of water, and then miraculously the waters open in front of you. And what, I'm trying to picture it. Like here's this dry land underneath, these basically walls of water on either side. It takes a lot of courage and faith to go into that and say, that water is not just suddenly going to come down crashing on me, as in fact it did do to Pharaoh's army. It took faith for people to cross the Red Sea and trust the Lord. And then years later, when they were entering the Promised Land, what happened? They came to Jericho, which is portrayed as like this super fortress. And what happens? They walk around it seven days, and then they blow the trumpets and give a great shout, all things that we would say, Wowee, what's that going to do to walls? And yet what happens? The walls come tumbling down, as the song says. Amazing. I'm sure everybody was amazed, not just the people of Jericho. (laughs) I'm sure the people were amazed too. But the point is, they did that because God told them to do that and because they trusted him. And then there's Rahab, who's one of the inhabitants of Jericho. And you remember what happened with her? Everybody else in the city perished when it fell, but not her. She harbored spies from Israel before the attack. She basically defied her king, the king of Jericho. And do you remember what she said to the spies? It's pretty amazing what she says. She says, here in Jericho, we've actually heard about what your God has done for you, how he rescued you out of Egypt and all the amazing things he's done. So we know that he's given to you this land. So when you come and conquer Jericho, remember me and spare me and my household. Now, that's pretty amazing faith for somebody who the text says is a prostitute. 
living a life of sin, and yet she understands God is the one who's really the one to fear here, not my king, the king of Jericho. So you see the running theme of courage throughout all of this? There's a willingness to put oneself at risk and do what's right, even though there's serious threat of harm, particularly harm from human beings. Now, as we're thinking about these examples, many of us are probably thinking, okay, I don't really feel like every single day I'm having to deal with, like, the threat of death if I talk about Jesus, <laughs> right? Um, we need to remember there are brothers and sisters who actually do face that threat, and we need to keep praying for the persecuted church where that is a reality and where this text speaks in a whole other level. But we are still called, and I'm sure you'd all agree with this, we're all still called to face moments with courage for the gospel. I know I've shared this story before when we were doing evangelism training. I want to share it again. The man who led me to the Lord, um, he was uh, on his way to a doctor's appointment, and he was just praying, Lord, make me a witness today. I want, to, I want to be a light for Jesus today. He gets there, and he's there in the waiting room. There are two other ladies there with him. And there's, you know, the TV running, and um, there suddenly this news flash that says that some celebrity has died, some, some prominent person. And one of the ladies says, oh, that's too bad. And the other, person's, other lady says, oh, yeah, but he's in a better place. And then the guy who discipled me said, maybe not. And both of the ladies are like, oh, you know, <laughs> like, did he actually say that? Um, and it led to this amazing conversation about the gospel. They're like, how could you say that? Well, not everybody goes to heaven. How do you go to heaven, you know? It took courage to say maybe not. It took courage to insert himself, stick his neck out, and risk the disapproval of those people. So where are we going to get that courage? Where are we going to get the courage as seen in this passage? How do they get this courage? The answer is, second point here, faith. Faith is what we need to overcome fear. And let's just remember the definition of faith. Remember, it's not some warm, fuzzy, mystical feeling. Faith is taking God at his word, right? So how does that help us overcome fear? And the big idea of what I'd like to share with you that's true for all of these saints here is that when we're in the grip of fear, people are big and God is small. And maybe some of you know the book by Ed Welch, one of my teachers, which has that title. I'm going to be relying on some of his insights here. Fear is when people are big and God is small. Faith is the opposite, when God is big and people are small. So let's look at that. Faith is what gives us the power to see what's actually true, that God is big and people are small. And there are two main ways that it helps us to do that. First is, faith helps us to see that God is bigger in the sense of stronger than any human adversary. So let's look at this. Moses, his parents, were not afraid of the king's Egypt. And then later Moses left Egypt. Why? why? He was not afraid of the anger of the king. And Rahab hid the spies in defiance of the king of Jericho. In all these places, they're not fearing men. And of course, could those human rulers have done real harm to them? Of course they could have. But each of those saints feared God more. They saw God as bigger than what those human people could do. And just think of Rahab for, for one example. I think she's particularly instructive. She could have been captured. 
and probably put to death as a, for treason, for hiding these spies, right? She could have. Yes, it's true. But instead, she was more focused on the bigger judgment that God was about to do on all Canaan, and so she feared God and the bigger power that he had than the king of Jericho. Think about Jesus. Did Herod and Pilate and all those rulers of the Jews, did they have power to harm him? Yes. And in fact, they did. They had him crucified. But for Jesus, again, it's the same idea. The Father was bigger. He entrusted himself, 1 Peter 2 tells us, to the one who judges justly. And what did God the Father do? He showed himself to be bigger than all those foes of Jesus. How? By raising him from the dead. What's happening? God is saying, even the vilest harm that can be done to a human being, torture, shame, death, I'm saying I can reverse all of that. That's what God's saying. I can reverse it all. I can make it all become the opposite. That's how powerful he is. And so this is kind of the paradoxical fear, answer to fear of people. The answer to fear of people is you need more fear of God. You need to fear him and to truly see him as bigger than those people. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill, can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God. We need to see God as bigger than our foes. This is the idea of God being big. People are small. When we see that by faith and take that by faith, that his power is superior, we will not have fear. Yeah, so that's the first answer to fear. It's about power. Second answer to fear that's running through this passage is also seeing God as bigger in terms of pleasure. Pleasure. Look at, look at Moses. It's particularly clear for him. Verse 25 and 26. Look at this. This is a choice about pleasure. Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he considered the reproach of Christ. That means the shame of Christ. To be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. And this is very, very real. When we are acting fearful, we're acting self-protective. We're saying to ourselves, oh no, if I identify with Jesus here, if I stick my neck out here, I could lose and then fill in the blank. My job, my comfort, my friends, my family, my fun, my money, whatever, right? We have, I will lose this good thing. Godly faith says, if I don't identify with Jesus, if I don't identify with Jesus, I would lose him, and he is my reward. He's the greatest of all rewards. Again, think about Moses as he's seeing one of his countrymen abused in slavery. He could have said, we already mentioned this, he could have said, not my problem, right? Not my problem. Or he could have intervened. And by intervening, he knew, I am now going to put myself in a place of threat. I'm going to lose the life of luxury and honor that God, uh, that, that Pharaoh's been giving to me here in the Egyptian court. What would, what would any, why would anybody ever choose to identify themselves with a slave and lose that life of luxury. Why would anybody choose to do that? Well, verse 26 tells us, a really great reward. He was looking to the reward. What was the reward? Same thing for Abraham. Verses 10 and 26, 
He was looking for the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's looking to that heavenly city, that better city, where Christ is, seated in glory. And that was what motivated him. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to keep what I have here in Egypt. Faith gave him the eyes to see that what, what, he ha- what he stands to lose in Egypt is this temporary life of ease. It's going to quickly pass away anyway, even if he doesn't do this, even if he doesn't intervene. And so he says, well, I can re- endure reproach for a time, identifying myself with God's people and therefore with Christ, and then I can gain that which I can never lose. Or I can try self-protectively to hold on to this worldly pleasure, which I'm going to need to lose anyway. And can you see that? When, when faith perceives the reality that God is big, his pleasure is big, and people are small, what they can offer is so, so small, fear evaporates. Of course, Jim Elliott said it so well, right? Jim Elliott, this missionary to Central American natives who paid the ultimate price for his missionary labors, who died, who was martyred by the people he was trying to reach, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're no fool. Think about what this is saying. You're no fool to give what you cannot keep, the passing pleasures of this life, to gain what you cannot lose, the glory of Christ's kingdom. And so if you have the eyes of faith, you're saying, God is big, people are small. The reward of Jesus and his kingdom is so worth trading anything in this life in order to get. I'm reminded of Brother Andrew, who smuggled Bibles um, to communist countries uh, behind the Iron Curtain. And before that, before he became the Bible smuggler, um, he had a crucial decision in his life. Um, where should I go and get this education to become a missionary, or shall I keep this girlfriend that I've had for many years who I really, really love? And it was that stark of a choice because the girlfriend basically told him, if you become a missionary, it's all off. So he made the choice. He chose the kingdom of God, and he gave up that relationship. You know, worldly fear is operating, surely, in that decision, right? It's, it's, it's something you surely had to fight. Oh, no, if I choose this path, my hope for happiness will now be forever lost. That's what the worldly fear says, right? The pleasure is, the temptation of seeing that pleasure is just being, oh, man, I don't want to lose that. But what was he focused on? The great reward that surpasses even a loving and dear wife. So faith says the reward of Christ outweighs anything that I have to forfeit in this life. God is big, and people are small. So that's how faith overcomes fear in the lives of these Old Testament saints, and it's how we are going to win too, brothers and sisters, and this is what we need to now reflect on. I want us to just pause for a second. I want us to be thinking to ourselves, okay, what are the areas where fear, and in particular the fear of people, is currently running part of my life, or maybe a large part of my life? Where have I hung back? and been silent because I'm afraid of what other people will think of me? Where have I given approval to what's false so, uh, other people, so that other people don't think ill of me? Where have I gone along just to get along, not wanting to make ripples because I'm afraid? And I know these are hard things. This is not just sort of like, oh, easy to overcome that. But brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has given us 
all that we need for life and godliness, and that includes the power to overcome our fears. He has not left us alone in our fear. He has given us Jesus who leads us on the path to glory. Let's, let's just reflect on Jesus for a moment. Jesus had the worst things possible happen to him. He was falsely accused. He was publicly shamed. He was beaten, scourged even with whips. He, he was shamed by being stripped naked on the cross and then tortured in his death as he died there. Those that's the worst that people could do to him, and they did it all, simply because he was a truth speaker. And yet, here's the glory of this. Jesus preeminently shows us how God is so much bigger than people, so much bigger, so much bigger than all that people could do. I mean, after all, even his death, even before God reversed it all and raised him from the dead, even his death, even the hard things that he, the hard thing that he went through on the cross, even that was something God used to advance his kingdom. It wasn't a loss at all. And now, where is he now? He sits at the highest place of all, at the right hand of God in heaven. He is alive right now. He's not tortured right now. He is dwelling in glory and in joy right next to the Father. And the good news of the gospel is, and this is what's so helpful for us in our fears, is that if you so associate yourself with him in his reproaches in this present time, then he will raise you up to be with him too. And that's what's so great about Moses' decision. I love how it says here, he left the riches of the king, richest kingdom on earth, and what does it say here? He considered the reproaches of Christ to be greater riches. That's amazing. The reproaches, in other words, the shame of Christ as greater riches. Well, here, how could he say that? Like, you don't want to be shamed, right? Well, the shame of Christ, when we're one with him in his sufferings, we then become one with him in his glory. He knew that to associate with Jesus in this present age where people are trying to do all kinds of bad stuff in defiance of God, he knew that that was the path to glory. And the great gift of this faith that says, yeah, I'm willing to sign up for temporary suffering if that means I'm one with Jesus, the great thing about this faith is that it doesn't depend on you. Faith is a gift. Faith is something God will produce in you. If you're listening to all this and you're saying to yourself, I really struggle with the fear of man. Well, the answer is turn to Jesus. Ask him to strengthen your faith, to give you the courage that you need. It's not something you're going to have to produce in yourself. He promises he will do it. He will give you the gift of faith. And when he gives you that, it will be courage against absolutely everything that could possibly make you afraid. We, we've been focusing here on people, because that's the focus of this passage, but look at some of the other things that people are protected from in this passage. Um, the entire army of Egypt, the angel of death, verse 28, the powerful forces of creation, the waters of the Red Sea, God pro pro promised and fa was found faithful to protect his people from all of those things. And when they trusted him, they gained courage and freedom from fear. Three final thoughts as we're thinking about making this real for us. First is this. Some of us have special fears because of our past. Welch shared about a woman who was abused by her father and brother and just always had this sense of doom that was hanging over her. 
And what happened was that that past made her particularly susceptible to the fear of man. And the poor woman, she even began to start to destroy her own marriage and her life. And what was really driving it was that sense of self-loathing, that sense of the past. And this view of the past, of all of this defilement as happening to her, um, and that's who I really am, is that defiled person who was wronged. But what's happening here, and what's really the issue? It's an issue of faith. This person professed faith in Christ, and yet she was letting her interpretation of her past, I'm a defiled person, override who she actually is said to be in Christ in the scriptures, which is not defiled, forgiven, treasured, beloved, not loathed. So part of how faith overcomes our fears and enables us not to live with that sense of dread is it helps us to process our past and enables us to say, okay, I'm going to reckon myself, remember faith is taking God at his word, I'm going to reckon myself according to what God says in his word and not according to what people say by how they treat me or how I feel um, that they're, they're treating me. Um, I'm not going to let that drive the ship anymore. So faith says no to the false interpretations of our past and lets God's word interpret us. Second thing I want to say about faith and its power to overcome fear is we just have to recognize that fear can take many subtle forms. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I don't really struggle with fear. Well, fear can take a lot of different forms. And I, I personally come, I'm here before you as somebody who's really struggled with the fear of man. And this is the form it took for me. In my early days in college, fear of man led me to close myself up in my dorm room, dorm room and while away endless hours playing computer games. Why? I was afraid. I was afraid of what people would do, what people would say, just what they would think of me if I stuck my neck out and tried to get to know people. And so I was doing the comfortable and easy thing. Why? Fear. Because I was afraid. And it was all until an, a godly man came and confronted me and said, um... <laughs> You can't say that you're living a life of love for Christ when you're just sort of hiding away in your room. <laughs> and I realized that, wow, even, even in my stumbling um, attempts to love people, that God is promising he's going to use that. I don't have to be perfect to be useful to God, to be used of God. And so if I take him at his word and say, even like a stumbling introverted guy like me, awkward guy like me, might actually be useful to God, God bless that, and he helped me to get out of my shell and out of my fear. Third and final thing is this. When we understand that fear is something that haunts us, that is controlling us more maybe than we've been willing to admit till now, <laughs> I want you to know this, that for every fear in Scripture, sorry, for every fear, there is a promise in Scripture. For every fear, there's a promise in Scripture. Remember how faith is taking God at his word? Okay, how do you fight fear? Find the promise in scripture that addresses your fear and cling to it. Believe it. Hold to it. So let's say you are just particularly afraid of being shamed by people, of having people laugh at you, ridicule you, think you're an idiot. Let's say that's you. Revelation 3.9 is one place you could go. When God promises that he will raise you with his people, and he will make, I love this, he will make everyone know, everyone know that he has loved you. He will 
He will raise you in glory. He will reverse all the shameful things that people have ever said about you. Let's say they actually do say all those things. He says, I'm going to glorify you with me. Isn't that awesome? So brothers and sisters, cling to the promises of Scripture. It's the key to overcoming fear. Brothers and sisters, you have inherited not a spirit of fear and timidity. You have inherited a spirit of power and of love and of self-control and of confidence. Brothers and sisters, when you turn to Jesus and his word, he will enable you, even the most fearful among you, to say in the words of Hebrews 13, 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are people who struggle with fear. Very often it's controlled us, kept us from doing what we should do. And we know that's not as it should be. We should be a people of confident faith. And yet, Lord, we know that when we're confronted on our fears, um, your purpose is not to make us feel even worse about ourselves and, and bring about even greater shame. Instead, you're giving us the power to say, Christ has overcome even this. Christ is bigger even than this, even than my sin. Lord, help us to believe. We want to believe. And please forgive us for our fearfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.